Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 10. The Gospel record of Luke and chapter number 10. We're continuing with the story of Jesus Christ in the life and ministry as given to us through the Gospel record of Luke. And remember as we are taking time, we're seeing that Jesus Christ is now beginning his journey back to Jerusalem. It's going to take several months, but he is now making his journey back to Jerusalem. Now in Luke chapter 9, Jesus spent a lot of time working with his disciples, preparing and teaching his disciples. Now as we start in chapter number 10, we're going to see that as he now takes more disciples and sends them out, and we're going to see the results and his call to them in the gospel record of Luke in chapter number 10. The gospel record of Luke chapter number 10, notice with me in starting at verse number 1. The gospel record of Luke chapter 10 and verse 1, the Bible says this, After these things the Lord appointed other seventy also, and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place, whether he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways, behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse nor scrip nor shoes and salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house ye enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, then it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking, such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house, and into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But into whatsoever city you enter, they receive you not. Go your ways out into the city of the same, and say, even the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us, we do not wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe unto thee, Chosran! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which have been done in Tyre and Sidon, which have been done in you, they had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it should be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, 
shall be thrust down to hell. He that heareth you heareth me, and he that despiseth you despiseth me, and he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent him. And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And behold, I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means hurt you, notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven." In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for thou hast hid those things from the wise and the prudent, and hath revealed them unto babes, even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. The Gospel record of Luke chapter 10 and verse number 22. All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son. And he to whom the Son will reveal him. And he turned unto his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear, and have not them. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the gospel re- record of Luke chapter number 10? The gospel record of Luke chapter 10, and notice with me in verse number 1. The gospel record of Luke chapter 10 in verse number 1, notice what he said, sent them two by two. And with this, we want to see as Jesus Christ in this passage that he sends these disciples, he sent them two by two. If you don't mind, let's go once again to the Lord and let's talk to him. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you and and examine this passage, we're asking that your Holy Spirit would have full liberty to examine this passage, that you would give us the hearts to see, the eyes to see, That you would help us in our own life. That we could see what a privilege it is to be sent out by you. See what a privilege it is to serve you. And to see what we are supposed to do. And I'm asking that we would have the joy and the rejoicing that you promised as we just hide ourselves in your will. Encourage and strengthen your folks tonight. Fill me with your precious spirit. So that way you do your own work through your word. Thank you Lord in Jesus name. Amen. As we examine this passage, let's start off here with the call. The call. Jesus here is now making one last attempt to reach the nation of Israel. This is an honest attempt by the Lord to have the Hebrew people accept Christ as their Messiah. Now remember that Jesus Christ was giving out a genuine call. They could have accepted him as the Messiah. He, they could have accepted them as the king, but they did not. They reject it over and over. But this is one last chance where he's giving to the Israelites, to the Hebrew people, to accept the promises that God had made to them. Now in order to prepare the people, and I'm so thankful that God did this, that he just didn't give them the choice. He's now sent out these disciples to prepare the people 
to give them every opportunity to receive the Prince of Peace, this Messiah that was to come. Notice what Jesus does in verse number, uh, chapter 10 and verse 1. And after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also. Now remember that Jesus Christ had 12 apostles, 12 main disciples, but these weren't the only disciples. He also had other disciples. These were just 12 that he had pulled aside and special trained them. He spent waking hours with them and walked with them and separated with them. But there was also many others. And out of these other disciples, not the 12, but there was 70 other people that he had uh, trained and worked with. And now he's sending these 70 out. Notice what he's sending these 70 out to do. And after these things, the Lord appointed 70 also. Now this appointing, by the way, means to be ambassadors. He has appointed them to be his ambassadors. And they are to go out to represent the Lord Jesus Christ to the nation of Israel. Preparing them to be his representative to point to him. So that way when they see him they're ready to receive him. Now remember being an ambassador is a very big deal. The book of 2 Corinthians speaks quite a bit about us being ambassadors for Christ. And what does that mean? That we're his representative. That means the things that we do. Do and the things that we say and the way that we carry ourselves matter if we're being a reflection of the king that we want people to accept. We have to be careful that understanding that we're ambassadors. Notice that he appointed them, he sent them, he chose them. Other 70 also and sent them two by two. Now this was a wise way of doing it just for safety's sake, for a testimony's sake, to um, encourage them, to keep them going. He sent them two by two before his face into every city and every place. Notice this, whether he himself would come. Now remember that Jesus Christ is now leaving his home base of Galilee and he is now preparing to make his way towards a march towards Jerusalem. And what he does is he sends these 70s two by two to every village, every small little nook, every little city that he is going to come to. And these two ambassadors, these two disciples are supposed to go into the city and work with them and prepare these people for when Jesus Christ comes. So it's not that they're going every single place. They're going to every single place where Jesus himself is going to come to. He already has a uh, his way, his path mapped out. They're going to go prepare the way. So when he enters the city, the idea is that they're already ready to receive and acknowledge him. This is Jesus's great purpose, by the way, is to work with the Hebrew people to get them to accept. So he's doing some preparatory work. He's doing what he can to allow them to respond properly to him. Notice as it goes on in verse number two. Therefore, so because of this, because of his desire to prepare the people that he's sending this out, and knowing that two into every village, that's not a lot when there's a lot of people to be reached and a short time to be reached. Therefore, he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Notice what he says here, the laborers are few. We do not have a harvest problem. We have a labor problem. There are many people who would get saved if someone came to them and presented the gospel to them. 
There are many people who would respond to Christ if someone would come bearing that good news. It is not a harvest problem. It is a labor problem. So what do we do about a labor problem? You understand that what we, how we handle a labor problem tells us quite a bit about what we think to do about a church. It tells us a lot about what we do about the Lord. Sometimes when people have a labor problem, they say what we need to do is put an advertisement. We'll put it in the newspaper. We need laborers. There are some times that we have a labor shortage and said, guess what? We're going to beg and plead and twist people's arm. But how did God say that we're supposed to take care of a labor problem? He said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest field. You know, this is the only prayer request Jesus ever gave. And if Jesus gave a prayer request, we ask people all the time, how can we pray for you? Well, Jesus said, this is how you can pray for me. Pray for laborers. If Jesus gave you a prayer request, don't you think you should pray for the prayer request he gave you? Pray for laborers. Now, how does this work? Well, we live in technology age. How does your cell phone work? If I had my cell phone and I called your cell phone, does my cell phone call directly to your cell phone? It does not. It bounces off a tower or satellite, and then it bounces to you. Well, if I'm praying for labors, it bounces to God, and God redirects that call to someone and starts preparing their heart. As I pray for labors, God uses that prayer to help prepare someone to respond to his harvest field. By the way, this idea that he sent them two by two, this word sent carries with it the idea that he is taking them and just tossing them in. And there are times that when we pray for laborers, God grabs somebody and just tosses them into the harvest field. Some of you felt like that from time to time. This is what God is doing. He says, pray. This is how we handle our prayer labor shortage. Is that we don't whine and cry about it. We don't send out advertisements. We don't twist people's arms. We talk to the Father. And He will take care of it. That's our thing. Is that we're praying for laborers. This is the call. They were to pray that God would send forth more laborers. As they went out and started working, they said, the job is too much for us. We need more than what we have. Lord, send forth laborers. Send forth laborers. We see the call. Then we see the commission. What was they supposed to do? We could see that 70 were called and they're going to be sent out. What is their commission? What is the job that they're supposed to get accomplished? Notice with me if you don't mind in verse number 3. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Now as they went out, they had no special protection. They were sent out like lambs out among the wolves. Now earlier when he sent out the disciples, the 12 that he specifically trained, he said, I'm sending you out as sheep among the wolves. Here, these 70 had less training, less time with Jesus. He says, I'm sending you out um, like sheep, lambs, little baby lambs among the wolves. That's dangerous work. I'm sending you out in hostile territory. But I'm sending you out regardless. Verse number 4. He gives more instructions here. He says, Carry neither purse. Now a purse is like a coin bag. He says, I don't want you to be carrying excess money. Nor script. The idea of script here 
again, is carrying the idea of money. And he says, nor shoes. Now, they're not supposed to go barefoot, but you're not supposed to carry six pairs of shoes. Just carry what you have. Carry what you need, not any excess. And then it says, salute no man, by the way. It carries the basic idea of don't say hello to people, but it goes beyond that, that in the Middle East, when people say hello to people, it's not like a quick high and bye. It's usually a long affair where they just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. They're supposed to be ambassadors and they're on the important business of the king and they're not supposed to talk and have frivolous conversations. They're supposed to get to what God has given them to do and not stop and get sidetracked and just long hellos. They have a business to do for the king. Notice what else? Verse number five. And into whatsoever house you enter, first say peace be to this house. Now what they're supposed to do is this instructions as they go in, they're supposed to go in and say, knock on the door. Are you willing to know about peace in your house? And if they're willing to know about peace in their house, they're going to be able to share the gospel and tell them about the Prince of Peace who comes. Notice verse 6. And if the Son of Peace be there. So they're supposed to come and enter and say, Hey, we want to tell you about the Prince of Peace. We want to tell you how you can have peace with God. And if you're willing to have peace with God, that's our message. We want to tell you. And then notice this. The people are supposed to be so excited, so thankful to hear the the message that they have no problems taking care of the messengers. And so the people were supposed to come in and if they're willing to receive them, to come in and stay with them as they try to, try to tell everyone else about this message of the Prince of Peace. Now in verse 6, if the Son of Man be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. Meaning, if they don't want to hear it, Go on. Don't stand. <laughs> Go on. Find someone who wants to hear. Notice again in verse 7, more instructions. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborers worthy of the hire. Go not from house to house. Now, <laughs> here was the instructions that if you went and knocked on their door and said, hey, well, you want to know about the Prince of Peace? Yes, I'd like to. And you tell them about the Prince of Peace. Then they're so grateful that they're willing to have you in, be satisfied with what they give you. If they decide they're going to have pinto beans and cornbread, well, praise the Lord, we're having pinto beans and cornbread. If they're having rice and beans, you're having rice and beans. You're going to be satisfied. Now, the reason why he's saying that is that many itinerant Preachers and teachers, remember we explained that back in those days they had itinerant teachers that would travel around. A lot of them would go, hey, I know I've got somewhere to stay here, but let me try that other house. They, they look like they have more money. They probably eat better food. Let me go try over there. Don't go house to house. Be thankful where God has placed you and allow them to take care of it. God will take care of it. Don't be greedy and try to get more stuff out of it. Your job is not to make money. Your job here is not to get rich. Your job as an ambassador is to declare and proclaim and prepare the way for Jesus Christ to come. In fact, he tells this. He says, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Now, once again, we learn something. How we handle our labor shortage shows us what we believe to be true about God. That if we have a labor shortage, our responsibility is to talk to the Lord of the harvest. With 
what happens when we have a financial shortage? Well, we still depend on God to trust and to deliver in it. That the laborer is worthy of his hire. That it's supposed to be those people who are thankful for the message to take care of the messenger. Not to have white elephant cells or to try to have some fancy... Um, <coughs> money-raising scheme out and about, that it's supposed to be the people, as we apply it with a local church, it's the local church who is supposed to give and take care of the needs of that local church, including the preacher, and not supposed to find inventive ways to try to raise money out and about. Because we can trust God, and God can use His people to do His work. That's neither, that's kind of what he is speaking about here. Notice he goes on in verse number 8, gives more instructions. And in whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things are set before you. There's a nice phrase for the millennials of today. Be satisfied with what you have. Verse number 9. And heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh, come near to you. So as they come, they're supposed to work. And as they work, they're supposed to heal and preach the message. And the message is that Jesus is coming. We're making way. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is coming here. And you need to be ready. When he comes here, you are ready to receive him. You're ready to respond to him. You're ready to accept him. He is coming. He is coming soon. Be prepared for it. He is coming soon. Remember, they are sent and Jesus is going to be following them very soon. Verse number 10. But into whatsoever city you enter, they and they receive you not. Go your ways out into the streets of the same and say, Even the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us, do we wipe off against you, notwithstanding because of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh to you. Now, Jesus begins to work with the disciples and he's giving the indication that guess what? They're not going to be happy to receive you. They're not going to all be happy. Go, woohoo, yay, the people from church are here. They're not going to respond well. And there's going to be a lot of them that are not. I'm just preparing you now. Aren't you glad that Jesus was honest with them? He's breaking it down. They're not going to respond well to you at all. And there are going to be sometimes you go into a city and they don't want to have anything to do with you. And he says, when they do that, you go and give them a sign. Now before, when Jesus sent the 12 out, they said, shake the dust off your foot. Which is no big deal. Remember that in those days, they didn't have paid roads. Everything was dirt covered. This is one of the reasons... <laughs> Or when you would walk, dust would cover everywhere. This is one of the reasons why even today in the Middle East, they want you to take off your shoes because you don't want to be tracking in all that dust that you've gathered all throughout the house. You would take off the shoes. It is a polite thing because it's such a dusty society. Well, as you go out and you're working in the dust and the sweat's going, that what happens, mud starts to collect. And in here, instead of just shaking the dust off your feet, they're saying, we're now wiping ourselves off of you. This would be, it's nothing for people to dust, put the dust off their feet or get a rock out of their shoe, but it's another thing together to take a towel and to wipe it off in the middle of the city and to say, we're wiping it off. We've given you the chance. We've given the opportunity. You rejected it. We're wiping it off. Notice again, verse 11, In the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come nigh to you. Hey, even if you reject the message, even if you say that we're liars, 
doesn't stop the message. God is still coming. He is still coming whether you like it or not. Jesus is coming whether you believe Him or not. Jesus is coming whether you accept Him or not. Jesus is still coming. This message is true. And it's not based off of your belief. It is based off of fact. Jesus Christ is coming. <coughs> now Jesus gives them some warnings. He says, but I say unto you, verse 12, but I say unto you that it should be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Now remember, this is talking about a biblical incident found in the book of Genesis of a historical place called Sodom. And remember, Sodom was so filthy and so wicked that it ended up having a sin that was named because of the city of Sodom. A horrible, horrible sin. And a horrible, horrible city. And God says, listen. It is going to be more tolerable for Sodom. This horrible city of sin. Than it is for this city who rejected the message of Jesus. Now think about that. That means one day when this city and the people and the inhabitants. They're going to stand before God. They're going to be found more guilty than the city of Sodom. Did you know that there are degrees of hell? And the degrees of hell is not based off of how evil you are. <gasps> the degrees of hell are based off of how many times you've rejected the Lord when you had the opportunity to receive Him. The people of Sodom would have repented if someone would have just told them about it. But here are some people that have been given the opportunity to get saved. And they did not. Think about it, churches like this. Where people can sit in a church and listen to a message like this. And still not get saved. Still refuse to get right with God. And what's going to happen is that when they stand before God. They're going to be held more guilty than someone who was evil and wicked and vile who never heard the gospel. Think about that. People like to say, well, Adolf Hitler is in the lowest pit. No, you want to know who's in the lowest pit? Someone who saw, sat in a Baptist church that heard the gospel week after week after week and never got saved. They had more chances than anyone else. And they did not respond. You understand it is a dangerous, dangerous thing to put off after hearing this message over and over and over and not get right with God. That's a big deal. That's a very big deal. Jesus himself said, I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable in that day. What day? The day of judgment. For Sodom than for that city. Woe unto thee. Remember the word woe is cursed. Woe unto thee Chazaren. Woe unto thee Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which had been done. Entire in Sidon. Which had been done in you. They had a great while ago repented. Sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Remember Tyre and Sidon. Were Phoenician cities. This is the hometown of Jezebel. 
Remember Jezebel, who is so evil and wicked that no one will name their kids after her anymore? She's just synonymous with it. And God says, Woe unto thee, Chezrin and Bethsaida. These are places where God did great miracles. The feeding of the 5,000. Some of these other miracles of healing. And Jesus said, Hey, if those same miracles were done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have got right a long time ago. But here you saw the miracles. You saw God work. You acknowledged and you still didn't accept him. You're going to stand before God. And it's going to be more tolerable for those wicked places than for you. Because you had the message. And you knew the truth. And you still didn't respond. This is some dangerous things here. This is what he's instructing the disciples. He's saying, let them know that... This is a big deal. Verse number 14 or 15. And thou Capernaum, which are exalted to heaven. Remember, Capernaum is where Jesus Christ had made his headquarters during his three and a half years of public ministry. This was his base of operations. And inside of Capernaum, they had more chances than anyone else. They knew Jesus lived there. This is where the disciples were from. Peter and James and John. <coughs> And Andrew all had their fishing business here. Everyone knew them. And Jesus said, And thou Capernaum, which are exalted to heaven, shall be thrust down to hell. Why? Because they had the opportunity over and over to respond to Jesus. And they refused. They refused. Verse 16, as he's still speaking to the disciples that he's sending out. He that heareth you, heareth me. And he that despiseth you, despiseth me. And he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. He says, boys, let me know, let you know that when you go out, when they reject the message, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And they're rejecting you because they reject me. Don't take it personally. Understand what is going on here. You just go on. You give them the opportunity. Our job is just messengers. We give them the information and they make their own decision based off the information given to them. Our job is just to be messenger boys. Don't take it personally. Just give them the news. Your ambassadors, tell them what you're supposed to do. God will take care of them. God will take care of that city. Just go out. Now, with all of that and with all the warnings that, hey, they're not going to accept you and they're going to reject you, they're almost feeling like, well, this isn't going to be a profitable trip. This isn't going to go well. And so we see the last thing, the Christ. We started off with the call. We see the commission. And then we see the Christ. Notice with me in verse 17. And the 70 returned again with joy. Saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to us through thy name. Now, because of the warnings of Christ, the disciples felt like, well, there's not going to be any victories. But they came back rejoicing because of the victories they saw. They were so excited. They reported back to Jesus. Now, as they're so excited, notice what Jesus does as he's now redirecting this. And he said to them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. He says, I've seen Satan fall. I know what it's like. Verse 19, behold, I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over 
all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notice this word power. This word power has two different meanings, two different ways that it's used. First of all carries the idea of a physical power that we overcome them, that we push past them. The other power is the word authority. That it's not you that's doing it, it's God that's doing it. You're just going with my authority. It's not you, it's me. <laughs> but it also with this, notice he says in um, <laughs> verse number 19, Behold, I give unto you power to tread upon the serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now notice this. He says this by any means won't hurt you. Now think about this. The 12 disciples, almost all of them suffered martyrdom. Every single one of them. And even John who was not martyred was boiled in a pot of oil. He was exiled in the island of Patmos. Uh, that's some pretty painful things. That's a hurtful things. What is this speaking about then? Well, remember, notice, if you don't mind, verse 17, you have the word joy. And verse number 20, you see rejoice, not, but he says rather rejoice. And verse number 21, it says in that hour, Jesus rejoiced. Notice this. He's putting an emphasis here on rejoicing. You know, remember, joy is not ha happiness. Joy is a peace that passeth all understanding. And he says, listen, they won't have power over you. That means if you're following God's will, you're not going to be defeated even if they kill you. You know, our, our joy is not dependent upon circumstances. Our joy is dependent upon who God is. And if you are following God's will, that no matter what they do with you, you can still have joy. In fact, notice in verse 20. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not. What do you mean rejoice not? Remember, they came to him. They were rejoicing about how the devils and the demons were responding to him. And how they got to see these miracles. And they got to see these victories. And Jesus said, listen, we're not rejoicing in the victories. What should our main rejoicing be in? Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject to you. But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. I'm rejoicing because Christ saved me. I'm rejoicing because God made me a promise. I'm rejoicing because no matter what they do with me, they can't take heaven away from me. He's already won the victory. He's forgiven me of my sins. My joy is based off of Jesus Christ. My joy is settled. My joy is not based off of circumstances. You understand what he's trying to tell him here is that don't get your rejoicing in victories because what are you going to do when you have defeats? Don't be rejoicing in these victories because you're going to have bad days and your joy should not be a roller coaster. We have a joy that passeth all understanding. That means a joy that doesn't make sense. We can have a joy because of who Christ is and what he's done for us. May I give an example? Ellard Jensen was a person who was martyred in Holland back in 1549. He was an Anabaptist. He was with a group of Anabaptists. There was 20 of them that were uh, kept um, prisoner. Their charge for rebaptizing people and not believing in the sacrament of baptism. 
Meaning that we don't believe that baptism saves you. So in order to truly be <laughs> baptized, you have to recognize that Jesus is your Savior first and recognize that Baptist, uh, baptism doesn't do anything with salvation. So they were arrested, 20 of them. Now, while they were being arrested, they, many of them had a chance to escape. And so many of them made their plans to escape. Edward Jensen had a chance to escape and he chose not to. He chose not to for two reasons. First of all, he recognized that God had placed him there and that he needed to stay there. And he didn't want to hold them back. Second of all is that he was lame in foot. He had problems with his legs and he felt like he was going to hold them back. And if nothing else, he was going to get recaptured anyway. So let them go. They'd have a better chance without him. And so the 20 got whittled down to five. And him and four others went to the stake to die. And as he was being marched to the stake, he said this, This is the most joyful day of my life. As they're marching him to the stake, as he knows he's going to die, he said, This is the most joyful day of my life. How can you say that? Because I'm not rejoicing in circumstances. I'm rejoicing in who God is and what he's done for me. And the enemy cannot hurt me. He cannot harm me. He can kill me all he wants. But he can't take my joy because my joy is based off of God, not circumstances. The most joyful day of my life. When you're following in the will of God, it doesn't matter how bad the day is or how good the day is. We can still rejoice. And Jesus is redirecting them. So that way they're not rejoicing just in the circumstances. They're rejoicing in the God of the circumstances. That we're trusting in God and believing in Him. With this, as in verse 20, Notwithstanding this, rejoice not, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice, because your names are written in heaven. In that hour... Jesus rejoiced. Notice that phrase. This is the only time in Scripture that it says Jesus rejoiced. Jesus rejoiced. What is he rejoicing in? In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit. Notice we learned some things about rejoicing. His rejoicing is in the inner part. He rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father. Now notice he's in prayer now. He's rejoicing and his rejoicing brought him to praise God. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent and has revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, it seemed good in thy sight. Notice this. He says, I thank you for the simple message that even babes can understand. Think about John chapter 3. As the gospel record of John opens up, it opens up with a man who was educated, a man who has doctrines, a man who has studied, who comes up to Jesus and says, I don't get it. And Jesus said, verily, verily, you must be born again. And Nicodemus scratched his old silver head and said, I don't get it. And it's in that same passage that children all over the world get saved with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You understand? There's something. It's something simple about the message. We make things complicated. 
It's the simple message. And Jesus said, I'm glad it's so simple that kids can understand it. But it's all those that are wise in the world. All of those that are trying to make things too complicated. They don't get it. They don't understand why we could rejoice. They don't understand the simple gospel. They make things so complicated. And yet it's so simple a kid can understand it. Oh, he's thanking God now. Remember, he's not talking to the disciples. He's talking to God now. I'm, he's praising the Lord that the gospel is so simple that babes can understand it. And he said, it, is, it seemed good in thy sight. Verse 22. All things are delivered to me of my Father. And no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father. And who the Father is but the Son. And he to whom the Son will reveal him. This is a wonderful explanation of the deity or claim of the deity. Jesus is God. And God the Father and God the Son know each other. And know each other well. And no one knows them like them. He knew everything the Father did. Verse number 23. When he gets done praying. He, and he turned him unto his disciples. And said privately. Blessed are the eyes. Which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets. And kings have desired to see those things which you see. And have not seen them. And to hear those things which you hear. And have not heard them. He texts to his disciples and said, let me tell you. There are prophets. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. That would have done anything to see me. And you have the privilege. You are here with me. There are kings like David. And Solomon. And Hezekiah. Who would have loved to see me. And you get to see me. There are people of the Old Testament. Who would have loved to hear the messages. And the things I've got to say. And you've got to hear them. You are so blessed. And that'd be quite a treat to hear from Jesus himself. That'd be something to hear. Jesus speak to me. And give miracles. Oh those are definitely blessed people. But may I show you that we're even more Blessed. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter number 1. Whereas the disciples were so blessed because they got to see. David would have loved to talk with Jesus. Jeremiah would have loved to spend time with his Savior. They would have loved to spend time with him. And those disciples got to. Unfortunately, they didn't. They took it for granted so often they didn't realize what a privilege it was. But notice something said about us. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. That prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ which was in them did signify. When it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed. That not unto themselves. But unto us. They did minister the things. Which are now reported unto you. To them that have preached the gospel unto you. With the Holy Ghost. Sent down from heaven. Which things the angels. Desire to look into. Now whereas the disciples had a great privilege to spend time with Jesus and to listen to Jesus, we have something the disciples wish they had. The completed word of God. We have a privilege like none other. Man, it'd be one thing to spend time with Jesus, 
But David would have loved to have this. The completed revelation of who Christ is. We have a privilege. And like the disciples, we often take it for granted. That this is a privilege that so many other people would have loved to have. To be able to have the Bible for themselves. To be able to hold it. To be able to read it. Remember that this is the revelation of who God is. This tells us who Jesus Christ is. We learn all about Him. And this is much better than experience. This is the Word of God that faileth not. And we have this privilege. And with this privilege and with the calling that we are ambassadors for Christ. And that we have a task to do to go tell people and prepare them that the king is coming. And that they need to be ready to receive him and to tell them about the Prince of Peace. So often it gets to the t- place where we grow tired. We grow weary. It grows old. It grows stale. How is it? That we keep going. How is it that we can keep it fresh? D.L. Moody and his song leader, Iris Sankey, often did <laughs> revival services in the nation, the nation of England. And as they were in one of their tours of England, they were hitting in a big city. And D.L. Moody had noticed that the police officers were escorting several people off the premises. He was curious about it and said, what are you doing? These people came to here. And he says, no, no, no. These are gypsies. And gypsies are known pickpockets and thieves. And while you're having the meeting, we're afraid they're going to go in and start stealing from everyone's pockets and taking purses and taking money. And, and so we're just getting rid of the riffraff. Well, D.L. Moody said, well, if you won't allow them to come to us, we want to go to them. Tell us where one of those camps are. And so D.L. Moody Moody and Iris Sankey went out to one of those <laughs> gypsy colonies and began to have gospel meetings and began to preach to the gospel with them. And as they were getting ready to exit out, Iris Sankey said, I don't know why, I just felt led that there was a small little gypsy child. And so I just put my head, hand upon his head and said, Lord, if this boy is not saved, I pray that he would get saved. And then when he gets saved, make him a great gospel preacher. Well, Iris Sankey just walked away and just didn't know what was going to become of it. Said, I don't know why it was led. Just did it and left. Well, that young man did grow up. He did get saved and became a mighty evangelist known as Gypsy Smith. Gypsy Smith made several trips to the United States. And one of them, (laughs) he came over and made on purpose to go visit Iris Sankey. Iris Sankey was an elderly man at this time. And so Gypsy Smith came and spoke to him and said, Hey, do you remember a day that you and D.L. Moody went to a... (laughs) Gypsy colony and you place your hands on a, that young boy. And he says, ah, oh, I remember that. I do remember that. He says, I'm that boy. And he says, every time I preach, I just feel the weight of your hand upon my head and realize what a great calling that I have. Well, Gypsy Smith continued to preach. And later on, he's in his elder years. And he's still preaching with fire. Still preaching with vigor. Still preaching with enthusiasm. A young man asked Gypsy Smith in his older years, he says, What keeps you going? How can you preach with such fire and passion after all of these years that you're preaching just like you would a young man? I mean, you haven't just toned it down any. You're still just enthusiastic. Gypsy Smith looked at him and said, Here's my secret. I have never lost the wonder of it all. There was a songwriter by the name of Alfred Smith who had heard that. And so he took Gypsy Smith's words and he wrote it like this. He said, 
Once so aimlessly I wandered round the tangled paths of sin. All about me seemed so hopeless, doubts and fears without within. Then a voice so kind and gentle spoke sweet peace unto my soul. Gone my days of sinning and wondering since the Savior made me whole. I have never lost the wonder of it all. I have never lost the wonder of it all since the day that Jesus saved me and a whole new life he gave me. I have never lost the wonder of it all. As these disciples are sent out, Jesus takes them back and says, Let me tell you, boys, that no matter what they do with you, you should still have joy. And the reason why you should have joy is because you have a salvation they can never take away from you. They may kill your body. They may damage you. They may threaten you. They may hurt your feelings. But you could still have joy and a peace within because never lose that wonder of it all. Jesus saved you. Why can you still keep going and knocking doors when it doesn't seem that people respond? How can you go out when people don't seem to reject? How can you still preach when people don't respond? I've never lost the wonder of it all. What's the secret for keeping going? What's the secret for keep serving God day after day, year after year? Never lose the wonder of it all. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.